Hey guys, turn with me to John chapter 7. I got to tell you, I'm really fired up about this morning. This is a very, very unique day on so many levels. Uh, we're going uh, to have a meal together. We're going to baptize people to, this morning. Uh, but hey, 2,000 years ago, something incredible is taking place in Jerusalem. And if you look here in John chapter 7, verse 37, it identifies what is taking place. It's the last day, the great day of the feast. It's known as Hoshana Rabbah, the great salvation. Hey, what are you talking about? Where well, I was going to unpack in just a little bit, the Lord required all male Jews, all men in Israel, to present themselves to the Lord on Passover, which is the day Jesus gave his life on the cross, Pentecost, which is like the launch of the church, and then Tabernacles, which carries the idea of God in history tabernacling or dwelling with Israel in the wilderness, transitioning them from Egypt into the promised land, just speaking of the fact that God is with us, right? He is faithful. Like, let me just ask you, are you going through a desert? And the children of Israel did. I mean, we've all been through some rough times. I mean, Tabernacle speaks to the fact that God is always with us and he is faithful. And you know what? He doesn't leave us in deserts. Deserts are a place of transition. That's the place where he meets us and he grows us and he has purposes for us and he's moving us towards experiencing our full potential. Well, look, you guys, you have to understand, 2,000 years ago, and we're basically the day. It's like, actually, it'll just be like as we enter into the evening, uh, tonight we transition to the very eighth day of tabernacles. You have hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel. Uh, in Jerusalem specifically, excuse me, hundreds of thousands, and they're celebrating. This is the eighth day. What is taking place? Look, you have priests, just check this out, who have like drawn a bunch of water from the Pool of Siloam. They've made their way up to the Temple Mount. Temple Mount is a 35-acre compound. We, like we have 10 acres here. So just like, you know, like just imagine 35 acres. The temple is there. They're bringing a bunch of water. They have wine. They begin to pour out this water and wine on the steps of the temple, pouring down, and, and they're singing, please, Lord, please save us. Hosanna, please, Lord, uh, please uh, give us success. They're quoting Psalm 118.25. And look, just think like the halftime of the Super Bowl. I mean, seriously, like the halftime, it's kind of a cultural thing in the U.S. But in this case, 2,000 years ago, you're talking tens of thousands of people atop this 35-acre compound. They are celebrating that God rescued them out of the tyranny of Egypt, and they believe there's a future relevance to it, a prophecy to it. That is, that one day you're going to have living waters, God's presence on steroids from Jerusalem impacting the entire world. It's like, oh, trumpets. This is like, you know, not to get into the weeds here, but the Feast of Trumpets no doubt refers to the second coming of Jesus. Atonement, he sets his feet uh, on the Mount of Olives. Tabernacles, and we're right here in the midst of tabernacles, speaks of prophetically, one day thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So it's like huge, like, like, like they're singing, they're just ecstatic, 
And it's in this context, look at verse 37, that Jesus steps forward and he says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. It's like, what? It's like, no, wait, wait, wait. It's like, Tabernacles is about celebrating the Lord God of Israel, how he provided for Israel water, manna, in transition, um, and yet now Jesus is stepping forth on this national holiday and he personalizes, and he says, come unto me. Hey, if anyone thirsts, come to me. He doesn't say, come to the Lord God of Israel. He doesn't say, hey, get back to the word of God and, and study it and stuff. And, no, he, he personalizes it. Let me just say, I mean, this is the talk of someone out of their mind. Or it's the talk of the Lord himself. It's like C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this was the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool and, 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 and you, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher because he did not leave that option open to us. It's like, it's like, are you, like, national holiday tabernacles, I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not into the million, tens of thousands, Temple Mount, last day, water being poured out, celebrating God's faithfulness in history. And then Jesus steps forward, and he personalizes this, and he says, if any's thirsty, come unto me. It's like, whoa. And it does tell us the fact, look, the teachings of our precious Lord had less to do with a principle and then less to do with some type of philosophy had a major to do in essence identifying who he is. Like Jesus claimed to forgive sin. Well, wait a second. Only God forgives sin because sin is an offense to God. So Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus said he will judge the world. But wait a second. Only the one who is all-knowing and perfectly just can rightly judge the world to ensure justice and hope. I mean, Jesus claimed to give eternal life. Well, only the creator who created life can give life. He, he claimed to be sinless. I mean, guys just go on and on. He, 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 he claimed to, to, be, you know, to be worshipped. Well, wait a second. It's like God created us. The only one worthy to be worshipped is God himself. Can I hear a big amen to that? It's like Revelation 4.11. I love it. You know, a picture of reality in heaven, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Hey, aren't you glad that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's like, man, this is awesome. And this day in history is monstrositous. It's not only big. Did you get that monstrositous part? I think I made up a word, right? It's monstrositous in history. But, but it's also like huge as we're moving towards God tabernacling on planet Earth. I want to switch gears and kind of like re-loop and get a running start. Because yesterday, it was a great meeting with the guys. And we were talking a little bit about this even Wednesday. Um, and we mentioned how you have the coach of the University of Alabama. And, uh, and not to, not to, this is not to be some rah-rah thing here. But he said something I thought was so relevant because actually scripture does refer to competition. In fact, Paul referred to the Greek 
games to help illustrate his faith and his effort as a follower of Jesus. Well, anyways, here's what the coach said. He said, look, as an athlete, you can be bad, you can be average, or you can be good. But to be great and elite is something entirely different. I mean, if you're naturally gifted, you have unique DNA and stuff with speed and, you know, quick twitch and stuff like that, and you can jump out of the gym and stuff, you know, there's a strong likelihood you're going to be good. But great is something entirely different. Elite is something entirely different. No, no, you, you, you have to hold yourself accountable. You, you, your work ethic is huge. And so as the guys and I were just start thinking about this, it's like if you ask the question, yeah, the first followers of Jesus you know, were they, were they bad, were they average, were they good, or were they, were they great or elite? And, and if you look at it, it's like, man, these guys actually were great and elite, no doubt about it. I mean, like, this is great talk here. Like, this is elite, like, high athlete, but this is like spiritual stuff here. Paul's saying, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I agonize, press on, that I may lay hold of that which... Christ Jesus laid hold of me. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which lay ahead, I agonize, press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's not, just, that's not average. That, that's not even just good. That's great. I mean, for Paul to say, I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's not average. That's not good. That's great. That's elite. And you say, well, what are you getting at? I have no idea. I just thought that was interesting. No, that's stunned. I always say that. No, I'm getting to something because the reality is before coming to Christ, there had been a foundation in these men's lives and women's that were ingrained in them. So by the time that they come to Jesus Christ, to be frank with you, all these guys, in my opinion, were already great. They embrace Jesus. They take a discipline into following Christ. And what is it? Like, we have this scripture on the screen here, if we could put it up. Watch. Well, you have three times a year. I mean, God requiring all males to appear before him. And we're talking Passover. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Weeks is Pentecost. Oh, and then the Feast of, let's all say the next one, of Tabernacles. Yeah. And this is a call upon men here. I mean, men and women, needless to say, so important. God made male and female. But, you know, there's a call upon men to lead, to, to lead in godly influence. It's I just was the cutest thing. My, one of my grandsons, Liam, which was Pete's son, his firstborn son, uh, he, he walked into his, his the mother, mother's womb, uh, walked out of his mother's womb, I should say. So sorry. Oh, gosh. I meant room. I meant room. He walked into his mother's room. That's what I meant. Ay, ay, ay. Hold on a second. So anyways, he walks into her room in the morning, and he says, Mom, how can I serve you? Or, uh, because I, I'm the man of the house, he said, right? And his dad kind of planted some seeds. Actually, that's what his dad embodies as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but it reveals a principle of growth here, which is a process. And guys were just talking about it. But I'm getting to something here. And that is growth is not just linear. It's not just I've been there and I've done that. No, growth is like, is, is a return. It's a renew. It's a reorient. It's a relaunch. The way forward is the way back. You, you see this in Peter's life. I mean, he, he followed Jesus, but he was first actually following John the Baptist, he was a very sensitive, 
responsible Jewish man. He would never have met Jesus like he did at the Jordan had he not been listening to the voice of the greatest prophet ever born of a man. And then Jesus called him. He dropped his nets. And later Peter would go on record, hey, where would we go? You have the eternal words of eternal life as a bunch of people are falling off. And then he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember when Moses and Elijah appeared? Good old Pete has the right instincts. In fact, we have the scripture on the screen where he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three, what's the next word? Tabernacles. Hey, this event, the great, the great uh, transfiguration where you have Moses and Elijah, the bookends of Judaism, the law and the prophets appearing, may very well have taken place this week, 2,000 years ago. If it didn't, Pete has the right instincts here. He's like, hey, look, we build booths. I mean, see, this is the week. It's like you build the sukkahs. You build the, the booths that you go outside and you, you tell your children, actually, and your, your sons. Like I said, been principal talking to Liam to be a leader and, and to serve in things. You go outside. We're going to look through, you know, the leafy, uh, you know, the leafy branches and stuff. We're going to see the stars, and we're going we're to commemorate and celebrate. Man, God is always faithful. I mean, God, God is faithful to us in the wilderness. He always has been. And so for good old Pete to say, should we build booths here? My feeling is, my, I'm actually convinced of it. He's thinking, oh, the kingdom is being established right now. And God had instructed Israel to never forget their history and to build temporary shelters, the Sukkot, to remind each generation of their forefathers wandering in the desert that God was faithful. And if we look at this next Scripture here, I mean, Pete makes reference to this. Later, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We are eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father glory and honor when a voice came from him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven uh, when we were with him on the holy, everybody say it, mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And listen, after this, by the way, they come down the mountain and Jesus, as he's setting his face toward Jerusalem, he says, look, I'm going to be handed over to evil men and uh, going to be crucified and resurrect. And remember what Pete did. Pete's like, whoa, Lord, that's what are you talking about. You're the king. That's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus responds and says, get behind me, Satan, right? You can imagine the Lord saying that to you. Of course, it's the ideas. It's like Peter's not Satan, but it's the ideas there. That's just, that is, that's the antithesis of God's genius plan. But I just want to say, you know, Pete took it like a man. I mean, he could have just gone like, oh, wow, I'm out of here. But he didn't. He persevered. He kept walking. You know, God bless him. Well, he's just, just no, this, this guy was not average, and he wasn't good, so to speak. That's like a reference to athletes and stuff. But no, he, he was great. He was already great. And he's still, he's still in process. But, you know, a great man, great woman is teachable, and he remained teachable. And so, like the Lord, you know, he gets to J Jerusalem, and now you have the arrest, and 
600 soldiers, and what is Pete doing? He's drawing a sword, and he wants to defend the Lord. Hey, look, I don't have a problem with it. It's like, uh, and he swings, and he's like, Amen, actually, for a guy's head, he gets an ear, and Jesus heals, puts the ear back on the guy's head and things, and the Lord rebukes him again. Like, Pete, wait, put away your sword. You know, this is not a revolution. You know, we're not coming in like Islamic crusaders in Jerusalem, and we're going to conquer, and we're going to force people to the ground with swords. No, this, this is a different thing. This is a, this is a kingdom that will be the result of transforming people's lives from the inside out, and then I'm going to come. First, I'm going to wear, I'm going to bear the cross, but then I'm going to wear the crown, so I just put it away. But, you know, Pete keeps following him, right? And then, and then it's just like he's, he's weak, and he ends up denying the Lord three times, but he remains in community. We talked about this last week. And then he ends up like in the Galilee as Jesus instructed him to be, and, and now you have the Lord restoring him publicly. Pete, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Get back up. And what does he do? But good old Pete goes right back to Pentecost. Uh, like the rest of them. The Lord said, wait in Jerusalem. Ah, Pentecost. Oh, it's Passover. All male Jews are to be in Jerusalem. Oh, Pentecost, all male Jews. Tabernacles, of course, all male Jews. So it's like for Pete, the way forward was actually the way back. He gets back to Jerusalem, and now you have this divine reality, this sound from heaven, Holy Spirit, tongues of fire. It's incredible. But what, what about tabernacles? How does tabernacles speak to us? Well, let's break this down. Please look with me at verse 37. On the last day, the great day of salvation and celebration, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone, what's the next word you guys, thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Thirsts? I mean, the moment we were born, we thirst. A thirst speaks of a need, a vacuum. It's not just physical. There, there was the thirst of nourishment, so we, we desired our mother's milk. The Bible actually says in a spiritual manner, desire the sincere milk of the word. I mean, the way you can tell someone is alive spiritually is that they will have a hunger to know the Lord. It's just, when you're born again, it's like, no, I want to know. I, 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 I need to be fed. I need to be nourished. Would you not agree with that, right? If it's such a beautiful thing, and that's a work of God, it's like, no, it's, it's just now I got this DNA and I'm born again. It's like, I'm hungry. So it's like, I, I want the sincere milk of the word. There is the thirst for comfort. I mean, like you see him in a birth, right? And there's this thirst for companionship and security and understanding. And then as we get older, meaning and truth and Eternity, because we were made with eternity in our hearts, the Bible says. The great Blaise Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. When a thirst is not quenched, it leads to madness. When a thirst is not quenched, it's just like, oh man, you start going to go crazy. You can almost hear it in Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, 
vanity of vanities. So what are you talking about vanities? The vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's like the idea of this book is that here you have Solomon that tried everything. He was like, he studied, he tried drugs, he had a lot of sexual activity, all kinds of stuff. I guess go on and on and on. And, and none of it's just like, it was like a bursting bubble. It was like, all vanities could be like, I was trying to put, I was trying to get something substantive out of a bubble and it just burst. Oh my goodness, it's, like, it's all vanity. And what's the conclusion? And what's the answer? It's like, well, it's relationship with God. But when a thirst is unquenched, as I mentioned, it, it can leave you mad. And we live in an increasingly, unfortunately, mad, mad world. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? I and mean, it's like, so we got to step it up in the time in which we live and make him known. But kids are starving for meaning. Such a crazy time, right? They're more connected than ever before, but more isolated and now what you have is this confusion. It's like this crazy mist that's coming into our country and, and uh, being rejected by so many other countries. And that is, hey, look, you could be born a male, right? But that's not who you really are. And so, um, you know, you can think in an alternative way. In fact, you can change your gender. We talk about this stuff, but this is serious stuff. Because when, when, you, when you remove boundaries that are purpose to protect us and bless us, you open the door to all kinds of godless, and I'd say even dark, dark influences. Students who reject their biological sex, I'm just reading for an article, are skyrocketing in Montgomery County public schools, increasing almost 11-fold since the school introduced a gender support form in 2019. So the idea is like, like Jesus would say, come to me. It's like, if you're thirsty, come to me. It's like, we all need Jesus Christ. It's like everybody needs Jesus. We're all at equal footing. None of us are perfect. There's no perfect parents. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect body. There's no perfect chromosomes. It's like we're flawed and we need the Lord, right? But the answer is not mutilation. The answer is not like I'm going to mutilate my body and then I'm going to be fulfilled. That's not the answer. The answer is to be born again. The answer is to be born of the Spirit. It's like, come to me and drink. It's like, and then as a result, you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're going to have life and right movement in your life. You know, we talked about this, I think, just last week, just a little bit. I just want to get through this. This is important because um, I, I got the chance to speak to the school board in San Marcos uh, Thursday on behalf of our church, to be frank with you. And... Um, And the reason I'm bringing this up is because now in our own backyard, kids are being set up for such confusion. They passed the California Health Curriculum Framework. It was not mandated by the state. So this is something they all voted on. And, 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 in, and in, in effect, I was trying to explain this to my dad, who I love so much. He's 92, super lucid. He's super well-read. Um, and, and, and he's a Democrat, but not like a Democrat we often think of. I'm just saying. He said... Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, but anyways, um, so he, he's a Democrat. And I was, just, I was just saying, Dad, Dad, listen, Dad, um, you know, and this is not some crazy extreme conservative thing. I'm just telling you, it's not 1980 anymore. I mean, he's in Palm Desert. He's with my precious mama. He's 88, most beautiful woman. And it's like, Dad, I just, it's just, Dad, I'm telling you, even in our own backyard, Dad, I'm just telling you, it's not, I'm just telling you. And he's looking at me. Because now Kay to third grade, dad, you know what they're doing? They're being taught that gender is unlimited and expanding and fluid. 
So the fact is that, that you know, the reason why they came to school and they were identified as a male was simply a choice of their parents, not their choice. What ratifies one's gender will be the choice of the child. Teach, they will be teaching this to children K through 3. So it's like, no, it's like, no, wait, that was your parents' choice. But now it's your choice what gender you choose. Now, now don't you think that opens the door of radical confusion? That's terribly not necessary, of course. From fourth to sixth grade. So I'm like talking to the board in this. And then it's like, you guys, you know, you approve this. Fourth to sixth grade taught sexual practices, challenged binary concepts about gender and used gender neutral language like they instead of he, she. Seventh through eighth grade be taught to roll a condom, to insert a vaginal dental dam. I mean, I, I'm just scratching the surface there and sorry for that. i sorry I said those things. But it's like, that's just, that there, it is so graphic. And the thing is, is that parents will not be able to have their children opt out of such instruction. So it was like, and my dad responded, he said, the parents don't know about it. I'm like, you better believe they don't know about it. But they need to know about it. And so I said to the school board, I said, look, we're actually we're actually like raising the question or should, like what is love? You know, and I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So there's a God of love, big invitation, whoever believes and stuff. He sent his son. I mean, actually love is concerned about any godless or harmful influence. That's why God sent his son. I mean, he sent his son because there's breakdown and disintegration and he wants to do something about it, and therefore love nurtures and protects. It doesn't undermine and expose. So I just told them, you have opened the door to indoctrinate kids to an alternate reality that will lead to choices of breakdown and baggage that they will regret, and what you've done is evil. Okay, so... Oh, they just made one comment they, at the end that it was, it was actually something from the state... Okay, so that's, that's all they said. They just said, but it, yeah. Well, that's true. Um, here's, point number, here's, point, here's point number one. I just want to say real quick. Look, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to the deepest thirst, right? And, and that next verse, just put it up on the screen. I think we have it. I love this. Look at this. Revelation 7, they shall neither hunger nor thirst anymore. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Yeah, man, this is the God we serve. This is what reality is. But there's more, you guys. God purposes our lives not only to be indwelt by the Spirit, but look at verse, essentially verse 38. Actually, when Jesus says that if we believe in him, that the result is going to be out of his heart will flow rivers of, let's say those next two words, living waters. Well, I mean, watch this. They've taken water from the Pool of Siloam, and uh, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here. This is like a quarter of a mile down the hill. Big urns. They're taking it to the temple steps, pouring it out. This is this demonstration that God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness, living now. Now it's flowing. I mean, living water is moving water. That's the idea. 
And so it's like if I believe in Christ, what ends up taking place is that there's the movement that God has purposed in my life. There's not a stagnation. There's, there's, there's not, a, there's not a, a gathering of water that just becomes, you know, polluted. It's like there's living water. There's life to be given in and through my life. And the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? He's given us spirit of power, which is influence, love. And it's in the name of love we need to fight for the next generation. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, really, that was my heart talking to the school board. And we're not done, by the way. I mean, it's in the name of love, actually. What is love? Love nurtures and protects. That's what love is. God is love. God sent his son. God wants the best for humanity. But there is such a thing as evil and that which is outside of original dying. We talked about it. But you guys, remember that picture? Remember when the children of Israel came into the promised land? The first location was Gilgal. We, we talked about this recently. It's a place called Gilgal. And it was the launching pad into the promised land. So they crossed the Jordan River and the Lord is saying to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. So it's like I've opened a door, I want you to keep moving, keep moving. It's like foot, you know, it's like use your feet, keep moving into the promised land. And, and in Gilgal, this location there's all of these interesting like rock formations, like seven of them. One of them is like as large as a football field of, of a foot. They're just a bunch of feet, you know, just a bunch of imagery there in Gilgal, no doubt, to Joshua 1.3. That's like, hey, this is the place. We regroup. We rediscover Passover, actually. And then we relaunch and we take the ground that God has given to us. And we mentioned this, we talked about it, and, and, I, and I'd like to just use the same illustration that last time. We, imagine like you got this new car, and you're given the keys, and you sit in the car, and it smells great. The, the tank is full of gas, um, but you're not going to go anywhere unless the engine's on, and unless you step into the pedal, right? You have to step into it. And the Bible tells us we are not to quench the Spirit, which carries the idea of putting out the fire. God is in us and wants to work through us. So point number two is being on the same page. Like we believe the Holy Spirit dwells us, right? The, the living waters. Being on the same page really with the Holy Spirit is not looking for new experiences, but actually new obediences. It's stepping on the pedal of obedience. And when I do what God has called me to do, the fire is not quenched and it spreads. It's just simple as that. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, like, if you come to me, I'm not going to fill your empty spaces and all that. I'm the source of all life. But there's going to be living waters through your life. One person said, we will have a choice to obey or not obey the Spirit. And if we obey, he will continue to convict and guide and enlighten and empower us. If we deliberately ignore his promptings, he will stop working in us because he is grieved. We must do everything we can to neither grieve nor quench the spirit. Instead, we must choose to obey no matter what happens, no matter what the cost, because we understand the reality of who we are and whose we are. And there's a prophetic 
reality is, and by that I mean a future reality. And I'll just put it this way. Like, I have had the chance to be with all of my children in, in Jerusalem. And, 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 I'm, and with my sons, we've gone up to the Western Wall and things, which is just the retaining wall near the temple. And it's very important to our Jewish friends. And then to our daughters, uh, both of which are here, um, I, I can't get next to the Western Wall because it's divided. But anyways, but I, 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 I actually went through this prayer with, with the both of them. And I just said, look, you know, God has revealed himself. And God dwelt with the children of Israel. And there was a tabernacle in the wilderness. And I'm kind of whispering this and we're praying about it. And, um, and then on the temple, just right above us, just right there, you know, on the temple, God uniquely dwelt in the temple. And then Jesus... The, 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 the one who tabernacled amongst us or dwelt in, in human flesh in like this tent. He walked up here in the, in the 35 acres there. And, and now, because he gave his life on the cross and resurrected and ascended, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And now we are the temple of God. And, and, and one day, actually... The kingdom of God will materialize on planet Earth. And when it does, the scripture says, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So in other words, when the Lord returns and he's coming again, can I hear another amen to that? When he does and he establishes his kingdom, tabernacles comes into play. And the nations of the world's like the king. Actually, king has come down. He has dwelt among us. And you have nations, nations of the world coming up to Jerusalem to worship the king. And the point is, the tabernacles actually is a guarantee of God's presence, kingdom, and glory on planet Earth. And I want you to turn with me, guys, Revelation chapter 21. And I just want all of us to kind of get this, see it in our own Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. Let's pick up here in verse 3, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. It reads the following, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold the, what's the next word, you guys? Tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and, and, and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away then. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these things that are true and faithful. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will, I, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God he shall be my son, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, 
shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So like tabernacles in history, just look, we're celebrating God is faithful and he's faithful in your life. So if you're going through a desert, the Lord is with you. Jesus is the source of your strength. He is true to his promises. He will not leave you in the desert. Deserts are a place of transition. Can I hear another amen to that? I love that, right? Oh, it's like God tabernacled among us. And I, I, we had it up on the screen, I think, or I, I blew it, but it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We're talking about Jesus. The Greek term there for dwelt refers to pitching a tent. So it's like God pitched a tent, which was his flesh veiling his pure glory through the incarnation. And actually on the Mount of Transfiguration, you got a glimpse. It's like the glory wasn't Jesus became nuclear, I think, during tabernacles, or his glory was shown. Uh, but, the, but the real miracle is he veiled it in human flesh, but allowed Peter, James, and John to see it for those moments. Is that not awesome or what? And then everything, listen, it's true. I mean, what we do for the Lord, the word of God, the love of God, um, courage for God, it will last. And everything else will break down, but not the will of God and the word of God and the promises of God. Jesus is true. The one who gave his life on the cross, resurrected, ascended. He is coming again. And like the most important decision one could ever make is to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But let me just say on a very serious note, look, there's a battle going on for people's souls and there's a battle for your soul. Like if you're hearing this for the first time, um, you want to be so careful not to miss like the most important decision of your life. Jesus said he's, that God has set before us blessings and cursings. Excuse me, broad way that leads to destruction. And many go that way. He said, there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. And he said, I am the resurrection and life. And if you believe in me, um, though you die, you shall live. He said, I am the way the truth and the life. And, and no man comes to the Father except to be through me. Look, I'm going to ask Pete to come on up if Pete's still here. Is Pete still here? Oh, I've always wanted to lead worship. I think I'm just going to go over here. Yeah, it's like, that's okay. Hey, listen, let's all, let's all stand, you guys. Let's all stand. I want to lead in a word of prayer. Hey, listen, just, we're not done yet. I just want to lead in a word of prayer for anyone here who would like to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You say, Greg, what are you talking about? He died on the cross for you. He paid the debt of your sin and mine. He bridged the gap between God and man. He resurrected from the dead. He's alive. He is here. Jesus said we're two or more gathered. He's right there in their midst. You say, well, Greg, well, like, what are you talking about? Become a Christian. What? We'll respond, recognize what he's done for you. He died for you. He resurrected from the dead. And now we face a decision. Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he would come in. And listen, that can happen for you, my friend. I mean, seriously, the door of your life can be open and Jesus Christ himself can come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you hope beyond the grave and fill those empty spaces within. I just think of that, you know, 
rock rock and roll writer sting he said i have a hole in my heart and a, it it is a shadow in my heart and it makes me vulnerable and i hate this disease and god help me please look the reality is without right relationship with god there there's this gaping missing peace that only god can fill jesus said come to me and when you come to jesus you're not like you're not like coming to this church. No, that's, no, you're coming to Jesus. And it's like, you know, when you, when, you, when you come to Jesus, it's not like religion. Religion has been defined as man reaching up to God. What Christianity is, there's a God who made us, who revealed himself, who's reached down to us and loves us and has revealed himself to us. Hey, look, on a very serious note, there is a diagnosis why there's breakdown and why things are getting so crazy and why we get so confused and empty in life it's because of separation from the one who made us and created us that's why jesus came the bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus it's the bible says it's not that god's arm is too short that he cannot reach out and pull us up and have relationship it's our sins that have separated us from him. That's the core problem. Diagnosis, what is it? Sin. We need forgiveness. Jesus came to die for our sin, to forgive our sin. He is the answer to bridge us to the heavenly father. And he proved it by resurrecting from the dead. You say, okay, Greg, what do I do with that? Well, Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. Repentance kind of carries the idea of making a U-turn in life. You're headed one way, and the Lord is saying, okay, now I want you to turn around. Don't go away from me. Come towards me. You say, well, how, how does all this come together? Well, the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. I mean, he really is just a prayer away of saying, Lord, I believe in you. I, that you died for me, you resurrected. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Come into my life. Forgive me. And if you would like to pray and receive Christ and leave here knowing you're right with God, man, step into this. I just right where you're, you're standing, like, pray with me. Church family, if you'd like to join, that would be great. Here, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me, resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life and fill me with the life of God. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Fill the empty spaces in my life with your presence, with your blessings. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.